This is Bike Talk, a podcast on KPFK.org in Los Angeles and airing on Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts. This episode, we have an interview with Eben Weiss, a.k.a. Bike Snob, who weighs in on why the Idaho Stop, which is cyclists treating stop signs like yield signs and stop lights like stop signs, should be legal. First, we have a word from Los Angeles. Bike Talk co-host and Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee member Taylor Nichols interviews Streets for All founder Michael Schneider about why Los Angeles needs another Safe Streets nonprofit. Hello, I'm Taylor Nichols, and this is Bike Talk. I'm an actor and a bike advocate and a biker. And like a lot of people, I started really getting into advocacy when my children were at the age that they could roam. And I'm here today with Michael Schneider, who, in full disclosure, is a friend of mine and a neighbor who has also gotten very involved in bike advocacy right around the time his kids are getting ready to roam. So, Michael, I want to welcome you to Bike Talk. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Michael and I both served on the Mid-City West Community Council. He's still there. I've since gone. And we also both serve as representatives for CD5, for Paul Koretz, for the Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee. And he started something called Streets for All, which is a little bit different from the other organizations. I wonder, Michael, if you could talk about how Streets for All is different and why you chose to strike out on your own. Why I created it was I gave up my car nine years ago dust off an old bicycle and challenge myself to get around LA for one week without dying. That was what I had <laughs> in my head. And knock on wood, uh, nine years later, I am still very much alive. And that one week transformed me. We live in one of the cities with the best weather in the Western world for biking and just in general. So Streets for All was the culmination of frustration that I had. My wife and I started having little kids. We now have three, uh, six and under. And when I would take my kids to the park or to school and a car would pass me with three inches instead of three feet or come up behind and honk and all the things that you and I know very well cars do sometimes, cars will do anything to save a few seconds. And that's the reality. And it was a totally different level of frustration for me having my kid on my bike. I obviously felt very responsible when a car did that kind of stuff. And so I looked around and there's a lot of great 501c3s. You mentioned one of them while we were talking earlier, LACBC. They've been doing this work for a very long time and doing very important work, but there was no non 501c3. There was no organization that could be more political that could actually tell you, if you care about this issue, vote for these candidates. Don't vote for these candidates that could endorse, that could spend money supporting candidates or opposing candidates. So for people listening, can you break down 501c3? That's a nonprofit. Yeah, 501c3 is probably the most common nonprofit in the United States. It's the kind of thing where if you donate to whatever the cause is, it's a tax write-off and there's a lot of benefits, but they cannot endorse candidates. They cannot spend money on behalf of candidates. They have to be sort of apolitical in a way that in a city like Los Angeles, I don't think is that helpful because the reason why we don't have our mobility plan and all this nice stuff is very political. Right. Yeah, lack of leadership from the top. You and I both serve Councilmember Paul Koretz, who is being termed out in a year or so. And there's a bunch of people running for that. We can talk about that at a later time. But Koretz has been a real disappointment for me. I've lived in this neighborhood for almost 25 years. I've lived here and I've seen the neighborhood change and get more car centric and more crowded with cars. And he had an opportunity to really uplift not only Melrose, but the whole neighborhood. Yeah, that was such a painful loss. So what Taylor's referring to is now about a year and a half ago, I got a very excited call from one of our colleagues when Taylor was still on the council, Isaac Fadlin. 
saying, oh my God, there might be an opportunity to apply for a grant, $40 million to improve a mile and a half of Melrose between Fairfax and Highland. It would be so fantastic. And when I saw the rendering, I fell in love with it. Yeah. It would plant a whole new set of trees. It almost looked like a street in Paris or something. New lighting, new street furniture, bump outs for pedestrians. So it'd be less dangerous to cross the street. And it would implement part of LA's mobility plan. Melrose has a protected bike lane and it would have been LA's first curb level protected bike lane. So the same plane as the sidewalk, which is much safer. And I don't need to tell you this, Taylor, we rallied behind it. The yeah, neighborhood yeah. council rallied. We got every school. It's a very Jewish area, every temple, the Melrose Business Improvement District. I mean, everybody was so excited and on board. And unfortunately, maybe a dozen or so people, not many more than that in our right. community, weren't on board, could never see themselves, I guess, walking or biking on Melrose. They only saw themselves behind a windshield. And they got into Paul Caretz's ear and... What killed me about his letter announcing to the community when he was not going to allow the city to even apply for the grant, the $40 million, the line saying, I got into my car and even drove it one last time to see if I could get there. So he got into his- Not walk it or bike it. (laughs) He lives two blocks from Melrose. He got into his car and from a windshield perspective- decided that there needed to be enough room for more windshields. So it was very frustrating and he has turned out. Yeah. Well, I feel like Los Angeles is a little bit at a turning point and that a lot of work over the past 10, 15 years of bike advocates like Joe Linton and Stephen Box and people like that is starting to pay off. When you talk about the mobility plan, is that the 2035 plan? That's already been passed by our city council members, right? That was passed in 2015, 13 to 2 vote. The two no's were Paul Koretz and Gil Cedillo. And it is full of a holistic set of improvements for absolutely everybody. There is something called the pedestrian enhanced network, making sidewalks and crossings safer for pedestrians. There's the transit enhanced network for things like bus lanes. There's the vehicle enhanced network to make cars flow smoother. There's the freight network um, for trucks. And there's a pretty extensive bike lane network. So this was adopted by 2015. It is the circulation element of the city of Los Angeles's general plan. Right. And how are we in implementing much of those changes? In seven years. Seeing as it's 2022. (laughs) In seven years, we have implemented 3%. Right. Okay. So before we get into what we really are here to talk about, I want to get back to Streets for All one last time, that you are part of the evil bike lobby that Dorothy, I'm going to blank on her last name because I blanked her out of my system. The writer for the Wall Street Journal mentioned to John Stewart that there's this evil bike lobby. Well, at least now we have a bike lobby. Yeah, we are part of the evil bike lobby. We have about one billionth of the resources of the tobacco lobby or the tech lobby or any other lobby. And going back to the reason why I started Streets for All, I want to live long enough to see my kids grow up. I don't want to be maimed and I don't want to be forced into a car to do that. Cycling is the only mode of transportation. When you leave your house in the morning, you get on your bike. I don't know if you're this way too, where you think, I hope I make it back tonight. I hope this isn't the day. You don't think that way walking most of the time as a pedestrian. I don't think that way. You don't think it on the bus. You don't think of driving, even though driving can be very dangerous, but cycling, there's something visceral about it. There's something you just feel very exposed out there. And I don't think I should have to risk my life to live car free. Yeah, to get a loaf of bread. So can people donate money to Streets for All? And if they do, how is that money spent? 
If they want to donate money to the evil bike lobby, we would welcome it. They can go to streetsforall.org. There's a big get involved button. And if someone could donate 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or whatever they can do, that's always appreciated. We're all volunteers. I'm a volunteer. We have a seven person, all volunteer steering committee. We don't get paid a dime. Our operation, we don't have an office. I mean, it's a very bare bones operation. The vast majority of the donations we get go towards supporting candidates or opposing candidates. And we think if you want to change Los Angeles, you got to change the city council. And so that's where we spend the majority of our energy during elections. We also endorse outside of LA, Culver City, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills. But if you look at the map, the big hole is really Los Angeles. Santa Monica was just voted the seventh best bike city in the country. Right. And you've been doing this a long time. It used to say, we're not Amsterdam. Don't try to make us into Amsterdam. New York pedestrianized Times Square and did all this stuff under Bloomberg 15 years ago. And right. we're not New York. We're different. And we're not San Francisco. Now we got to say we're not Santa Monica. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's like seven miles from us to the West. Right. So LA is really the problem. And that's how we spend the money to try to change the city council, the mayor, try to get the right people into office. Really quickly, can you give us some of the best and worst city council members sitting now? Oof, I don't know if I should. It's no <laughs> excuse on Twitter. Since Paul Koretz vetoed Uplift Melrose, I think, Taylor, I want to say there's been eight people hurt or killed on the stretch that Uplift Melrose would have gone right. on, either biking or walking. Which is crime. Those are our children, our children's friends, people who live in the neighborhood, people who come to shop in the neighborhood. It doesn't help business. It doesn't help anything. I tweeted out about a year ago when someone a few blocks from both of our houses on Melrose, I forget if it was a pedestrian or cyclist, but someone was really badly hurt. I don't know if they died. And I said, Paul Koretz has blood on his hands. And that is the way I feel. Let's say you're a heart surgeon and you're, you're one room away from someone that's having a heart attack. If you don't go in there and do everything you can to help them, you have blood on your hands. Paul Koretz had an opportunity to make Melrose safer. Right. And he didn't even let the city apply for the money for a project that would have been implemented long after he had left office. Right. So it's really, really frustrating. So the man that you and I both represent on the Bicycle Advisory Committee, right. it's gotten so bad that I'm the chair of the Mid-City West Neighborhood Council, Transportation Sustainability Committee. We don't even bother passing motions, asking for stuff anymore when it comes to bikes and CD5, because we know Coretz is not going to do anything. And it's right. been a very frustrating thing. We're waiting for the next person to come in. Right. So I'd say he's one of the worst. There's other members. There's members near downtown that have not approved road safety and vision zero projects. People that aren't even usually on our radar, like, actually, I'll flip the question and say, who's, who's been the best at this? Joe Buscaino in CD15, amazingly, right. had the most miles of new bike lanes of any council member two years ago. Before he went to jail, Jose Huizar in downtown was quite good. Nithya Raman, who Streets for All, among many others, helped get into office and supported, has been fantastic. And actually, one of our former colleagues, Mehmet Barakar, right. is there um, essentially advising on transportation. And I would say that right now is probably the best office I can think of in L.A. that's actually doing the work. When is repaving happening? What's on the mobility plan? Where are the safety gaps in the network? And let's go to work. They're doing a right. really good job. Well, that's a great intro to what we really want to talk about, which is the new measure that you're trying to get on the ballot about the mobility pen 2035 and the repaving when streets are repaved. You take it away. So we've nicknamed this thing Healthy Streets LA, and the logo includes a picture of a very happy car, happy bus, 
someone riding a bike, someone in a wheelchair, someone walking a dog, kid playing in the street, a tree, and someone pushing a stroller. And this is a measure to reduce traffic, fight climate change, and create safer streets in Los Angeles. And I know that our audience is probably more seasoned than others, but I'll just give a few facts here. In Los Angeles, people stuck in traffic cost the local economy about $19 billion a year in lost productivity. So it's a very expensive way to live. Um, the average bus in LA goes about 10.8 miles per hour. That's the same or even a little bit slower as an average cyclist or scooter rider. Traffic crashes are the leading cause of death for children in LA. And a pedestrian is killed on average once every three days in the city. And we have a pedestrian fatality rate four times national average. Wow. So this is unique to LA. It's not just that we're a big city and people are going to die in the streets. So if you go to New York City, it's much, much safer per capita across the street. In 2021, people driving and getting into crashes, there were 289 people killed, 1,465 people severely injured. And those are both up significantly from 2020. 128 pedestrians killed, 486 severely injured, it's up 35% from 2020. And cyclist deaths went up 13% and injuries 22%. So despite having a Vision Zero program announced by the mayor, um, we're going the other way and our streets are getting more dangerous all the time. And here's the amazing thing. 50% of trips in the city of Los Angeles are three miles or less. That's half the trips. 66% of the trips are five miles or less. So in other words, especially on an e-bike, but let's just take a normal bicycle, two thirds of the trips could get to where they're going in less than half an hour. And 50% could get there in about 15 minutes. The way we live has an impact on our air. We have one of the highest rates of childhood asthma. And you and I, just by breathing, smoke the equivalent of up to four cigarettes per day. And of course, that includes our children. So right. that's just to set the stage of the status quo. You have the high injury network. That's the 6% of streets in Los Angeles that account for the majority of injuries and deaths. You have our mobility plan. Again, passed by the city council in 2015. It includes over 1,500 miles of pedestrian improvements, bus lanes, bike lanes, car improvements, freight improvements, the mobility plan would address the high injury network and would make the streets a lot safer. We have only implemented 3% of the mobility plan in seven years. And sometimes we're working against our own plan. We repay the street and we don't stripe it the right way. It's practically free to stripe it differently. You could stripe in a bus lane, a bike lane, a crosswalk, et cetera, for free during repaving. If you don't do that and you repave it and you stripe it down the old way, then really you're not going to touch the streets for another 20, 30 years until it needs to be repaved again. So it's really important to catch that repaving. And so that's what Healthy Streets LA is. It's a ballot measure for the city of Los Angeles that would do one very simple but profound thing. It would mandate that the city automatically implement its own mobility plan when the streets are repaved. Simple as that. Right. And what are the benefits of that? I'm probably preaching to the choir with this audience, but the streets would be a lot safer for all modes of transportation. It would give Angelinos real alternatives to the car. And given we have a few weeks of rain year round and otherwise it's sunny and beautiful, um, a lot of those people would get out of the car. They felt like they weren't going to die doing it. And it would actually improve traffic. If you give people alternatives and you get cars off the road, you know this, you can probably fit what? six cyclists in the space of one car. Yeah. So you don't have to get a huge percentage of people switching modes to actually get an enormous amount of cars off the road and improving traffic. And lastly, it would just be a more pleasant city. It'd be healthier, quieter, nicer to walk down the street. We need volunteers doing the rounds with neighborhood councils. We have support motions. Um, there's 99 neighborhood councils in LA and we've already had it agendized at almost 25 of them. 
We also have a broad coalition. Move LA is on, uh, LACBC is part of the coalition, Climate Resolve, uh, Streets Are For Everyone, Lane, Cowbike, and many other great organizations are all part of this coalition we're building. So that's the pitch. And the last thing I'll say is, after years of doing this work and sometimes banging my head against the wall, this is the nuclear option. If the city was forced to do this, you and I would have a much easier time getting these improvements done. And it changes the conversation in a community meeting, for example, from, hey, should we put a protected bike lane on Melrose to we by law have to put a protected bike lane on Melrose? What does the community want to do? Do we reallocate car space from parking or from a vehicle traffic lane? What does everyone think is the best option? LA is getting more crowded. Our neighborhood is getting more crowded every day. It's more crowded than it was in 2000 and than it was in 1950. And so we have to build our street infrastructure to meet the needs of the mid 21st century rather than building it for the mid 20th century, which is what we're doing so often. Yeah, that's a great point. And I often ask people that are opposed to stuff like this, tell me your solution. Electric cars don't solve it. They take up just as much space as regular cars. I've had people in tech, which is my normal day job, tell me, well, this is a temporary problem and autonomous electric vehicles will just solve it all because they'll know where they are and they'll be much more space efficient. I don't buy that. And if that is our future, it is still decades away to get every car to be an autonomous electric vehicle. And we don't have the time. Greenhouse gas emissions from cars are the single biggest source of pollution in California. Our planet is literally melting. And again, I'll go back to the weather. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people move to Los Angeles, but the weather is up there. You and I have attended multiple cyclovias, and you see the tens of thousands of people that come out and their bikes are collecting dust in their garage because they feel like they're going to die if they use them in their normal life. But on the weekends, when the streets are closed to cars and open to people, they're having a great time. One last time, can you give some information about how people can get involved, how they can contribute both financially and with their time and their effort to help healthy streets, but also to help streets for all? Yeah. So you can go to healthystreetsla.com. There you can donate, you can volunteer, you can sign up to sign the petition, you can learn more, and you can spread the word. Michael, it's really good to see you, man. I've missed seeing you at meetings. We miss you. And I'm surprised that I don't see you more on Willoughby or Waring when I'm riding east or west. Because I ride. You must be going at a different time. I take my one and a half year old, we bike to the Mellows Farmers Market every Sunday morning pretty early and bike back with a bunch of food. And my six year old, we bike to the Grove. She on her own bike the other day and we bike to Poinsettia Park. And something about biking with your kid when they're on their own bike is just so great. I totally agree. I missed that time with my children when they were doing that. When they got a little older, both of my daughters lifeguarded in West Hollywood and they would just ride the bike there rather than me having to drive them there or them having to drive and then leave a parked car for the full time of their employment during the day. So it really is just a wonderful future if we can get there. I agree. And that's what this ballot measure is all about. I've been doing this work long enough to know that this would be a game changer. So if you care about this cause, if you're in the LA area, please help us. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We got to get to the end of May and get this qualified, but we've done polling and it would very likely pass if we get on the ballot. Michael Schneider, Streets for All, and we'll continue this fight. Thanks so much, Taylor. Thanks, Michael. You're listening to Bike Talk live on Valley Free Radio in Massachusetts, podcast at kpfk.org in Los Angeles and biketalk.org. Now we have an interview with Streets Blog Chicago editor John Greenfield 
and Evan Weiss, a.k.a. Bike Snob NYC, about why cyclists should be able to treat stop signs like yield signs and stoplights like stop signs, which is known as the Idaho Stop. All right. My name is John Greenfield. I'm the editor of Streets Blog Chicago, and I'm here with Evan Weiss, a.k.a. Bike Snob NYC. So uh, he writes an influential blog that covers all different aspects of cycling culture and also does a column about cycling for Outside Magazine. He's the author of a couple of books about bicycling. Evan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bike Talk asked if I'd be interested in having a conversation with an influential person like you about the issue of the Idaho style. You know, I'm thinking that if there's any cyclist behavior that people who bike a lot know is harmless and rational, but really upsets a lot of motorists, the uh, Idaho stop is up there. The Idaho stop, uh, ideally, you know, it makes, it makes perfect sense. There's assuming, of course, there's no pedestrian coming or other road user, be it a driver, cyclist, whoever coming along who has the right of way, the difference between slowing down and coming to a complete stop and putting your foot down uh, is sort of meaningless. You know, it, it, it's performative or whatever you want to call it. Again, that that assumes, you know, you're yielding appropriately to whoever else may be there. Yeah, one thing we should probably put out there right away is what the Idaho stop is not. Uh, so- yeah. So the Idaho stop, again, is treating a stop sign like a yield sign, which means you slow down, check for cross traffic, and then it's safe you proceed, and treating a stoplight like a stop sign, which means you do put your foot down at a stop sign, look both ways, and then if there's no cross traffic or pedestrians crossing, then you proceed without waiting for the green. So the Idaho stop includes the stoplight thing, yes? Yeah, I think of it as an and or thing. Like in yeah. Idaho, it includes the law includes both in some states, it's yeah. one or the other. Right, right, but, right. But what it what it isn't is mindlessly blowing red lights or stop signs without consideration for cross traffic or pedestrians, which is of obviously course. dangerous and selfish, and nobody should be doing that. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, it makes per- it makes perfect sense. Uh, the only it makes it makes perfect sense. The the only if you really want to quibble though. The one aspect, because I've been thinking about this since since he brought this up. So I've been riding around thinking about uh, Idaho stops and all of it. And, and I've thought about this before. So you, you say people get upset about it. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would wager that people don't necessarily get upset about it because if you're doing it the right way, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. in other words, if I'm a driver and someone yields, to, a cyclist yields to me and I can go ahead, it doesn't affect my life and everything's fine. I think maybe the, the one area where you could argue maybe the putting the foot down matters uh-huh. is that maybe it's a signal to somebody, whether they're a driver or a, or a pedestrian or a fellow cyclist. Sometimes I, I will allow that if someone doesn't put their foot down, you may think they're going to keep going. Uh huh. You may not. You may not understand that they're gonna that they're gonna stop. I've I've noticed this riding my bike that sometimes, and as someone who rides a bike 
as an expert cycle, the expert cyclist that I am. You've written a couple books about it. The gifted natural athlete that I am. You know, I can I can stop and track stand there for a fairly long time without putting my foot down. Mm-hmm. But I noticed, and maybe I'm already taking this off in a tangent you didn't want to go down yet, but I have noticed that when you do that, um, um, people don't necessarily understand that 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 you're stopping and that you can wait there and that you are waiting for them. They'll kind uh-huh. of wait, assuming you are not going to stop. And I could maybe someone would find that annoying. So, yes, I'm in favor of the Idaho stop. As a cyclist, I know I'm going to do the right thing and I'm not going to go. And whether my foot's on the pedal or not doesn't really make make a difference. Uh, however, I, I would say it might be useful sometimes uh, to signal to somebody. And again, it doesn't have to be a driver. It could be a, a, someone walking. Sometimes it's useful to signal that, look, I'm stopped. I ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think what you're referring to, though, is a cyclist who does come to a complete stop, who's doing the track stand, right? Not necessarily. Whether you come to a complete stop and you're doing a track stand or you're, you, you slow uh, to the point you slow enough to safely yield to somebody coming Mm -hmm. the other way or perpendicularly, uh, it doesn't matter if they, they may think because you're still moving or your foot's not on the ground, Uh maybe they'll think, Hey, this guy's not stopping. Now I have to stop and wait to figure out what this person's doing. And I, I don't mean to, again, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of the Idaho. I think I think yeah, it yeah. makes. I'm just I'm allowing for that. All, all of these scenarios are imperfect. You know, making everybody. Uh, 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 I'm sure we'll get. You know, making cyclists stop for every single red light when nobody is coming and stand there. Or uh, as I think you've pointed out elsewhere, there's there's situations where maybe it's actually more dangerous for you on a bike to wait at a red light. You know, sometimes you, you kind of need to 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 get ahead of the traffic. Um, you know, that's the flip side of it. That, mm-hmm. that, that that's also imperfect. But the imperfect aspect of the Idaho stop, which once again, please, I'm not at the Idaho stop. I'm all for uh-huh. it. But that's the, that's the, the gotcha with that. And it's relatively benign, but I, w- I wouldn't discount it. I wouldn't discount it as a source of consternation for some people. So you, you lay that out as a scenario where you could be safely doing an Idaho stop, but still annoy people because they can't, they might be afraid they can't trust you that it's safe to walk across the street. Exactly, exactly. And and that's why I sometimes, um, when I see that people are in that situation, I'll sometimes, even though I don't need to stop, I'll do it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll signal to them that I'm, st- that they have the right of way. I'm not, I'm stopping and I'll put my foot on the ground, even if I didn't need to or want to. I'll, I'll, it's just a sign that, you know, I'm, I'm stopped, you go. So, um, you know, just a, a little bit of evidence that the Idaho stop is annoying some people. So you, you saw my thread on Twitter where I sort of talked about all the arguments for the Idaho stop. So that right. was in response to a, a guy, a local CBS meteorologist, a guy named Ed Curran, who tweeted, as a motorist and avid cyclist, that's always a red flag when someone calls himself an avid cyclist. As right, you, yeah, it can be, yeah. Uh, he said, I have to ask, why do so few cyclists respect stop signs and red lights? Motorists can be jerks, dangerous jerks, 
but doesn't some responsibility fall on other forms of mobility following our traffic laws? Maybe there's an app for that. So what he was basically saying is he finds the Idaho stop problematic simply because it's illegal. He didn't necessarily say it was dangerous. I also remember having a conversation with a housemate a few years ago where they, they talked about how pissed off they were because they were in their car waiting for a red light. Cyclist came up. I, I quizzed her very directly about so like, what exactly did the cyclist do? And she said, mm-hmm. the cyclist came up next to me, stopped. Presumably, they looked both ways and then proceeded through the red. And she just talked about how unfair that was. Like, why, why do I have to wait for a red light while the cyclist gets this perk? Right. So a couple of things I explained is that just like laws for cyclists and drivers shouldn't be the same. I mean, driving right. a 4,000 ton vehicle with blind spots that goes at high speeds that can easily kill somebody is not the same as riding a 30 pound bicycle with a 180 degree field of vision. You right. know, when you behave recklessly on a bike, at worst, you're probably going to get yourself hurt. It's really rare for cyclists to seriously injure, let alone kill other road users. So, um, you know, those are some reasons why, like, the same traffic laws shouldn't necessarily apply to cyclists and drivers. Right. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I, I agree with, with all of that, you know, uh, to an extent. Look, you and me and, and people who ride bikes or people who spend a lot of time just thinking about this stuff um, and, and have heard a lot of this stuff a thousand times, we find the argument that, uh, uh, you know, the, the bikers don't obey the laws. Mm-hmm. Look, we find it tedious and we get exasperated with right. it because we've thought it through and we live it and, and we have perspective on it. So it just seems like a like a. It seems stupid, frankly, you know, it's mm-hmm. stupid and irritating. However, you know, you, you have to understand that there are a lot of people who don't think a lot about this stuff. And that doesn't make them bad people. Uh, you know, there are people who just you don't they don't necessarily ride bikes. They don't they don't read about this stuff. Recre- they're not reading streets blog or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're just going about their lives, looking at what people are doing, and 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 in a very in a in a very elementary way, without parsing the nuances and getting philosophical about it. If you're driving around, and you know, let's let's assume you're you're a, a relatively law-abiding driver, and you're driving around, and you see whatever somebody rolls a stop sign on a bike, or someone does this, or someone does mm-hmm. that. Look, I understand how, if you don't think about it, it looks like, gee, I follow much more laws than the people on the bikes do. I'm more law abiding. They do whatever. I I get that. You know, I I get why people think that way. And again, when you when you think it through, when you make the arguments you've just made, obviously, uh, uh, there's more to it than that. And it's not accurate. And, And as I believe I commented on the on the the thread that you mentioned, um, we, um, I, there's, it's actually, while that perception may be there that look, most, most drivers will stop at the light and a fair number of cyclists will roll the light. It's not an, it's, it's not an apples to apples comparison. So in other words, the, the laws you break on your bike, um, um, are, it's not a one-to-one exchange with the laws you break in a car. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote a piece 
on this for outside kind of a you know a little satirical but but um um uh, i wrote kind of an exchange rate for the common the common violations you do on a bike versus the common violations you do on a car so so people will complain here's an example people complain that uh cyclists ride on the sidewalk mm-hmm. uh, and um you know the comparative and oh drivers don't drive on the sidewalk which they do <laughs> you have to drive on the sidewalk to get into a parking lot but let's set that aside okay. let's let's grant let's grant that it's you're more likely to see someone riding a bicycle on the sidewalk than just driving down the sidewalk let, let's 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 grant true. that no you could sort of argue that it's not true let's and of course the, the reason That's, people ride on sidewalks usually is because they don't feel safe riding in the street well yeah no forget the reasons my okay. point that it's the the the, the Comparison shouldn't be, oh, the bikers ride on the sidewalk, the drivers don't. The equivalent of riding your bike on a sidewalk, of taking a light, small object and rolling it down the street, mm-hmm. that, that's more akin to like if you're in a car and you park in a diagonal parking spot and two feet of your bumper is hanging off, you know, it, it, two feet of your bumper is going onto the sidewalk because, you know, uh-huh. those diagonal spaces that happens all the time. If you if you pull into a diagonal parking space in your car, your bumper is half the time is going to hang over the sidewalk. It's okay. going to take up a fair chunk of the sidewalk. Nobody walks around saying, oh, these drivers uh, uh, are blocking the sidewalk. They just take for granted that, oh, when you park that way, sometimes the car goes onto the sidewalk. But that's that's the equivalent of riding your bike from the corner to your front door or something like that is pulling mm-hmm. up into a parking spot or and 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 your bumper hanging over the sidewalk um nobody that that's what i'm saying so and the the equivalent of um of so a bicyclist may ride through a red light mm-hmm. the, a motorist may creep slowly into the intersection uh-huh. right that's a more that's a fairer comparison to me than oh the driver didn't run the light but the cyclist did. No, it's fair to say oh the the bicyclist maybe rolled the light to save a little bit of time and energy mm-hmm. while the driver crept into the intersection to to save a little uh, uh, momentum or whatever because he's impatient or 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 or, or whatever. That's a fair comparison. And creeping uh, drivers creep into the crosswalk, into the intersection all the time. They're mm-hmm. always inching, inching along and it's intimidating. If you're, if you're trying to cross the street and the driver's sort of inching their way into the intersection, waiting for anticipating the light to change, that's mm-hmm. intimidating and it's frustrating. That's a fair comparison to me. And, and, and it's something that's done all the time. So, so if you, if you, if you, you know, if you apply the conversion rate, you will find that, of course, drivers break the law just as much as cyclists do. It mm-hmm. just takes a different form and it takes a different shape. Uh huh. That's what and, I'm uh, saying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like in many People cases, when drivers them. when drivers break the law, it has much more catastrophic. Uh, consequences when they break the same law in the same way as a bicycle of course but just it's physics if you if you break the law the same way on your car in your car that you do on a bike the consequences are going to be way worse if mm-hmm. you, but 
um, uh, you break a thousand little laws on, on your bike every day. You break a thousand little laws, not you, you know, people in general uh -huh. break a thousand different rules on their bike. They break a thousand different rules in, in, in their car. And, you know, they, they may or may not be benign, but nobody has high ground in that area. So let's with, talk about oh, sorry, with the exception of what you said, which is that, yes, obviously, ultimately, when you talk about extreme violations, yes, the consequences are much, much worse in the car. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I've always been really irritated by that old, the old saw, you know, the, the drivers and cyclists have the same rights and responsibilities. Same rights, same rules. It's obviously ridiculous. You don't have the same rights because you don't have the same same amount of access, you know, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. um, and you don't have the same responsibilities because you shouldn't have the same responsibilities. It's like saying that a, a, a driver and a commercial airline pilot have the same responsibilities. They don't. Yeah. You have much more responsibilities flying a, flying a commercial airliner as you should, and you have much more responsibility driving a motor vehicle than you do on a bike. As you should, it's it's common sense. So yeah, that dri that drives me crazy. So real quick, a couple reasons why you know why the Idaho stop should be legalized, other than just like it's not dangerous, it's more convenient. You know, everyone's doing it already, according to the. Uh, there was a study in 2016 by DePaul University here in Chicago that found just, you know, the vast majority of people were treating stop signs like stop, uh, but like yield signs on a bike. Right. And I think similar things with stop lights. But anyway, the main safety arguments are if you have a lots of side streets use stop signs for traffic calming, st stop signs are used for traffic calming on lots of side streets. Mm -hmm. And for cyclists, if you are supposed to come i mean nobody is going to put their foot down at every single stop sign but mm -hmm. that might discourage people who are in a hurry from biking on side streets instead riding on high traffic main streets so if we can make side streets more appealing bike routes that that can improve safety mm -hmm. and then another big reason to legalize treating a stoplight like a green light is uh, a 2000 study by transport for london found that while female cyclists made up only about a quarter of the population of cyclists, um, they made up, th they were three times as likely to be hit and killed at red lights by large trucks, truck mm -hmm. drivers making right turns. And mm -hmm. the apparent reason for that is that female cyclists tend to be more law abiding. They tend to follow the letter of the law by waiting for the green light which means they have more exposure being struck by a driver making a right on red. And that mm. sort of jabs with what I've seen in Chicago, because in the last several years um, of all the cases that have involved cyclists being killed by right turning truck drivers at stoplights, mm -hmm. all of the victims have been female or female presenting. So uh, there might be something to the idea that, that because uh, law-abiding cyclists who wait for red lights are putting themselves in danger. Um, so anyway, those are two strong arguments for legalizing Idaho stop. And right. so this has come up in politics recently. So, uh, you know, it's called the Idaho stop because Idaho was the first state to legalize both uh, stop sign as yield and stop light as stop sign back in 1982. 
And several other states have followed suit since then. Idaho is the one other state that has that uh, both those moves are legal. I'm looking at a map on Wikipedia right now. Um, in Washington State and Oregon, Oklahoma and Delaware, stop sign is yield is legal. And in Colorado, stop sign is yield and red light is stop are legal in certain jurisdictions, certain towns and cities. So um, anyway, so recently there have been moves to try to legalize the Idaho stop in California. Um, that was something I think the state legislature passed it and Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed the bill. Um, probably had something to do with the fact that he's up for re-election. And I'm gonna have something coming out this afternoon on Streets Blog about um, an effort to legalize the Idaho stop. This was just stop sign is yield um, mm -hmm. by a state representative named Janet Yang Rohr. And so she had proposed stop sign is yield um, and it went before the transportation committee at the legislation and they voted it down. So what she said to me yesterday is like, she thinks there needs to be more education. Our, our major Chicago and statewide advocacy organizations didn't really get involved with advocating for it. But she thinks like if, if more people advocate for it, we might be able to educate lawmakers and get that passed. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's going on with that? You're, I assume you're still living in New York City? Yes. What's, have there been any, any efforts to legalize the Idaho stop in New York? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not as up on it as I should be. I, I vaguely um, I am aware that there was some something before, I guess, the state legislature. I, you know, I may be misspe misspeaking, and again, I'm sorry I'm unprepared and a little out of it, but I do recall that, that something was before the state legislature to legalize the, the Idaho stop, that... that that it was something that was that was being considered. I don't know where it is uh, or what's going on with it, but I know I know that it's something's you know something's happening. It's percolating in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know what the what the upshot of it is. I will say that one thing, sim sort of related, something we have in New York City that's been legal for um, a couple of years now, which I think is fantastic and is actually kind of a, in a way, better than the Idaho stop, but at least as far as traffic lights go, but does does require changing the lights and, and that sort of thing is. So for pedestrians, we have something called, maybe you have it in Chicago, I don't know, the LPI, the leading pedestrian mm -hmm. interval, is that, does that ring a bell to you? So, so the LPI is what happens is, um, um, the the walk signal, the pedestrians get the walk signal before the traffic light turns green, right? Mm -hmm. So you can cross the street before the cars are allowed to go and make their right and turn into the intersection and not yield to you and all this stuff. Right, right. So you as a pedestrian are getting a head start. Now, what they what they legalized in New York City after a pilot program is you as a bicyclist, when the pedestrian signal changes for the pedestrians, mm -hmm. you're allowed to go through the red light. Oh, okay. So you as a bicyclist are getting the head start, the same head start that the pedestrians are getting. And not every intersection has a, an, an LPI, but that 
that head start you get as a cyclist and you talked about uh 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 you know this 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 theory or 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 the study that that shows that you know maybe women being more law abiding and waiting at the light are, are mm -hmm. getting right hooked um you know this i that that rings true to me um because we've all been in a situation at a red light where we've 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 you know uh, uh, seeing the possibility of that happening to us, that being able to go before the light turns green makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference. So, um, um, yeah, to the extent that the that that an Idaho stop would 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 uh, um, uh, allow somebody to sort of avoid that risk, that's great. And 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 the, the same thing goes for. Look, I think if you don't want to allow something like an Idaho stop, mm -hmm. if then fine then why don't you rethink your 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 traffic signals then one thing you know? we could do is illegalize right on red that would help eliminate that yeah well you know, right we don't have right on red in new york yeah. you don't okay that makes a lot of sense because you have such high pedestrian volumes yeah we don't have it but it it's, it doesn't matter because i mean it i'm sure it matters to a degree but you're not allowed to make a right on red but that doesn't change the fact that when the light's green and somebody somebody can still make a right with the green light and violate a pedestrian's mm -hmm. right way or right hook you or 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 whatever but you know here so here we've we've gotten that that leading pedestrian in interval which is it, to me it's sort of adjacent to the idaho stop because it's basically letting you run the red light um um and take your cue from from a, a sick pedestrian signal mm -hmm. and we're, we're also getting more bike specific traffic lights that give a green light to cyclists while mm -hmm. the drivers have to wait. Um, um, so, you know, that's another thing. I It seems to me, as I'm talking about this, it's occurring to me that it, what's, I think, in, a, in an old-fashioned environment where you have an old-fashioned uh, intersection set up where it's car lanes and traffic lights and Tra and and maybe pedestrian signals maybe um um that uh the idaho stop is sort of a um a convenient way to make life a little easier for cyclists and let them let them sort of uh, adapt and 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 uh look out for themselves a little more however you know the real answer is to design the intersections and the signals and the sequences in such a way that everybody can proceed when and how they should. Mm -hmm. That's the real answer. You know, the Idaho stop is is seems like a, a, a stopgap thing, really. One I'm in favor of in lieu of a better signal arrangement, but you know, that that's really what it is. And I think if you're if you're a um a legislator and uh, or you know a politician or whatever and you're saying no no we don't like this idaho stop i'm gonna veto it but you're not at the same time saying instead we're gonna redo all our intersections then you're just completely full of it oh. <laughs> you know what i'm saying you're not you're, you're full of it then you just want to ignore you want to ignore there's clearly a problem you know people there's a reason people do the things that they do and uh, you know, people do things because people do things because it's easier for them, or it's safer for them, or some combination thereof. 
and it's it's as you say it's common practice and and uh instead of having um uh laws that don't make any sense and and intersections that don't make any sense except you know possibly for drivers uh you either have to uh, account for the for, for the reality of how people behave or you have to uh, uh upgrade it i mean one thing is worth pointing out is in places like you know copenhagen or amsterdam or one out of three trips are made on a bike my, my sense is that like the Idaho stop is not really a thing that you're considered kind of a barbarian if you don't follow the light. But the reason why that is, is because things are so well set up. Just what you were just describing is like every mode has its own signal phase when it's totally safe for them to proceed. Like you, you know that when you have the signal as a bicyclist, no one's going to be turning right across your path. I mean, yeah. I think the way it generally works there. So, you know, we should be doing more of that of having like signals separated by modes and directions. Yeah, that's part, you know, and it, it differs from place to place. And look, my recollection of riding in Amsterdam, and it was, it's been a long time, but, you know, you say, uh, as far as um, following laws, the big difference there is that I remember riding in rush hour there and you're in heavy heavy bike traffic you're it's mm -hmm. it's just, it's like it's similar to like if you're a, a road cyclist riding in a pack you know you have to you you have to pay attention to what you're doing uh -huh. in relation to the bicyclists around you and you're going with a group of people there's another group there's another uh, a group of bicyclists coming another direction they have to they have to ride in an orderly fashion or, or they're all going to crash uh -huh. that's, that's the same thing that sort of you know to whatever extent motorists do follow the law <laughs> which obviously in a lot of cases they don't but the extent to which they do is is really ultimately dictated by the fact that there are certain things they know they can't do or another driver is going to hit them mm -hmm. because there's so many drivers like even if you want to run a light at a busy intersection in your car you can't or a truck you know you're going to get hit there's cars right. everywhere there's heavy car traffic so you can't you, you can only you can't break the law so much in Amsterdam where there's a zillion people on bikes going every which way you have to do the right thing or you're going to, you're going to crash and you know, you're going to take somebody out or you're going to crash or you're going to cause a pile up. So that's that in, in, to an extent that sort in a way it sort of solves itself. We have a weird situation in a lot of places in the United States where there's not, enough bicycle traffic to dictate what bicyclists do that what dictates what you do on a bike is what whatever the dominant species is on the road where you're riding that's mm -hmm. good whatever the law says doesn't matter what dictates your behavior is who's who controls the roads and most of the time it's you and a bunch of cars so you're going to you you can only take the law into account to a certain degree. Mostly you're just going to key off what the cars are doing and you're 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 
you may be aggressive or you may be defensive, but you're 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 in a sort of survival mode. You're not that that's that's how you're going to operate. It changes if you're in a situation where there are, are a lot of bicyclists in mm-hmm. their place in New York now, where you have some decent bicycle traffic. You ride differently. You ride differently. And likewise, if you're on a bike and you find yourself for whatever reason, you know, in a situation where there's a ton of pedestrians, if you're on your bike and you're at some kind of street fair or something mm-hmm. like that, you're you're going to key off the pedestrians. You, you simply can't get away with certain things. You can't cut people off if there's a ton of pedestrians. Right. So, so that's really, that's a big part of it. And that's why so much of this discussion no matter how you feel about the the Idaho stop, it, it's it's ridiculous to expect anything out of a bicyclist who's in a situation where they're in a sea of motor vehicles. Like if you want bicyclists to follow rules, then you need to have rules and facilities that make sense for bicyclists. Right. You know, like I was saying earlier about walking, about riding bikes on the sidewalk um, in de- busy downtown areas like if you if you don't want that, make protected bike lanes so that people can have a safe place to ride where they're not going to conflict with pedestrians. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, just a couple of things I wanted to say about the Idaho stop in in terms of like legalizing it mm-hmm. um, is one thing we sh- should acknowledge is that not all intersections are good places to do Idaho stops. Right. Uh, that you know I'm thinking of like a particular intersection. Recently there was a a crash in Chicago where the actor who played the drummer in the, the School of Rock movie, his name is Kevin Clark. So he was he was fatally struck at a, an intersection near the Logan Square neighborhood. Uh, the driver, she turned down a breathalyzer test. There's reason to believe that she might have been driving intoxicated. But anyway, that, that's a good example of an intersection where you wouldn't want to do an Idaho stop. It's got an expressway over top. It's a skewed intersection. Yeah. Um, it's got like railroad tracks above sight lines are really bad. So anyway, you know, the argument would be, well, if we legalize the Idaho stop, people will be doing it at dangerous intersections where you can't see all the the traffic coming from different directions. And, you know, what we should just do is put up signs that say bicyclists must wait for green at intersection or something like that. Just like at some intersections, we'll put up signs for drivers saying like, you can't make a soft right turn here or whatever. And that, you know, problem solved just at poor visibility intersections, either improve the visibility or put up signs saying you can't do the Idaho stop. Another thing I wanted to just say is like, I will acknowledge like I don't do Idaho stops in front of cops, even though I think chances are they wouldn't have a major problem with it if you were doing it safely. But like, I don't want to do something blatantly illegal in front of a police officer. Yeah, sure. So, um, all right. I think we've done a pretty good, pretty good, uh, summary of this issue any other aspects of the idaho stop you think we should discuss no I, you know it makes what you what you say about obviously yes yes you're i 100 percent agree there are some places where you, you you should not do not attempt so yeah right. that, that i think in that, that case you have you have to make it clear you put you do some signage there's all kinds of situations uh, like in new york we have the opposite in the city you're not allowed to make a right on red but we have certain intersections where in your car you are allowed to make a right on red. So there'll be oh, a okay. sign, right on red permitted, you know, uh, um, and outside of the city where you are allowed to make a right on red, obviously there's certain intersections where it says no turn on red. 
Mm -hmm. you know everybody knows how to deal with that in their car they know that there are some places where you can't turn on red and they and you know no but that's not terribly controversial so it shouldn't be terribly controversial to have certain intersections where you can't do an idaho stop and uh, and certain ones you can it's it's not it's not rocket surgery and like at the same time like i said the reason i i think I like so much what we've done here with some of these intersections with the leading pedestrian interval is it's a nice happy medium between an Idaho stop and uh, because you're keying off a signal it's it's clearer it's clearer the traffic light is red pedestrian uh, uh, sign says go you're allowed to go through the red light I, I like it it's a neat setup and the last thing I'll say is I, I wish I could remember who said it some kind of bike policy person in one of these Scandinavian countries or something like that but but I, I always love that somebody said like cities cities get the bicyclists they deserve huh. so that goes to what we're saying about you know providing facilities if you don't if you don't want to provide the facilities, uh, uh, facilities for cyclists, and you don't want to accommodate them, you don't want to allow, you know, acknowledge certain behaviors or Idaho stops or whatever, and and accommodate them, uh, that you get what you deserve. Then you get lawbreakers. Mm -hmm. You know, you give people places to ride. You don't give them the. the then th that's what you get. You're going to get people who don't follow, who don't follow the rules. If. Uh... You know, if cycling is outlawed, only outlaws will ride bikes. Exactly. Um, well, great. Thanks a lot for talking with me. I think we helped me wrap my head around this subject a little better talking through it. All right. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the Idaho stop becomes a legal nationwide sometime in our lifetime. Mm. Or ideally, just like American cities will become so much more bike friendly that it won't be necessary. Yeah. So much of this just has to do with how many people are are riding the more people you have riding the more the behavior sort of sorts itself out when it's just you out there and your behavior is dictated by what the drivers are doing uh that's very different than there be, than being in a place where there's lots of cyclists and you're you're keying off their behavior and you're following you're taking their cues all right well evan thanks a lot for talking with me today this really good conversation all good, right, thank good to meet good to meet you via zoom after interacting a little bit on twitter yes likewise catch yourself a bike oh catch yourself a bike